Welcome to We Are Homeless, the podcast that explores the hidden world of housing alternatives and solutions in the Bay Area. My name is Adam Garrett Clark, and here in the Bay Area, we are homeless. The moonlight sleeping on the this was a really fun conversation that uh, I'm excited was able to happen. Uh, it's a conversation between me and a uh, former housemate, lotmate, village mate uh, named Greg, who uh, lived with me for about uh, a little over a year and uh, recently left to uh, Arkansas to uh, go to grad school. Um, You'll notice in the beginning I'm stumbling, uh, kind of beating around the bush, kind of being a dick because I'm afraid to outright say that Greg was a junkie. But he was, and he's totally upfront about it. And that's what makes this conversation interesting because you wouldn't know that by looking at him. And uh, he is uh, in recovery. He's been in recovery for a long time. And... Um, has some interesting insights on uh, how to climb out of the hole. Uh, we talk about uh, things, the distinction between treatment and recovery, uh, as well as just, uh, you know, that perspective of, of the stigma of being on both sides of that line. Um, really great conversation that I'm excited to share with you. All right, Mr. Simon. Somebody sing. Somebody sing. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, Greg. Hello, Adam. <laughs> All right, um, so uh, we're going to go for this. We've got, uh, oh, shit, let's start over. <laughs> what time, what time, what's our, what's our, what's our end time? Um, so I'd probably say I have about a half hour. Okay, all right. Which is a, a lot of time when you're talking about podcast time. I don't know, dude. I listen to like two-hour podcasts daily. It is, but once you get into actually making them, yeah, like for me, it's even five to ten minutes can sometimes be a lot. I know in the beginning when we were starting the film review show, yeah, uh, we were shooting for like five, ten minutes or so. But right. I, I completely get it where like today's content is just like gigantic, you know. But yeah, well, okay. So I wanted to get into uh, first your your tattoo because uh, it's it's pretty fresh on your arm there. Yeah, and and it, it, it seems to be pretty important to you because it is all over your arm. So you're like midway through a pretty big sleeve project right yes i am um so this is a bucket list item for me uh and it's a movie sleeve um and so basically the idea behind tattooing for me is uh i want my outsides to match my insides you know and i'm I've also like i'm seeing this as a like a uh i'm closing the door for for one path of my life and opening another because uh, I spent 10 years, oh, probably over more than 10 years, as like a failed screenwriter. Trying to write screenplays, trying to write screenplays, and I just was never any good at it. Just never any good at it. And then one day in Mexico, after a surf session, I was reading American Psycho, and uh, I was like, wow, this is really, this sounds like something that I could do, like fiction, you know? I was reading it, and I was like, wow, this, is, this is, writing is really crisp. I like it. Um, and it was very interesting. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try that. 
And I did. I tried that. I sat down and I wrote like a 2,500 word short story that turned into like a 40,000 word novella over the next three months. And from there, I just took off. And so now I had spent all this time in my life. And so in order to like not see it as a failure because like I'm bringing my screenwriting into the fiction. Uh, but that's kind of what I'm doing with this tattoo sleeve is like the, my remembrance of like film and screenplays and like my love for it because uh, at the core is like I just love movies and cinema and having fun. So what do we got on your arm that's uh, that's that's bringing back some of these, these okay, loved films? Okay, so we've got the Terminator up here on my shoulder. Wow. On the, um, okay, we've on got the, uh, the dude from The Big Lebowski on my underarm, which mm, was nice. the most painful thing that I have ever experienced. Wow. We were about three hours into the tattoo session. It's the underarm, which is uh, some of the most painful area, and I had used a numbing agent that had worn off. Like, it literally had just worn off when we started doing the... the uh, outline here um we've got tommy boy which chris farley is my favorite oh yeah uh, it's the part where he has pulled the cord and the thing is around his neck choking him oh i, d I don't remember that but i'll have to uh well go they're back. on the airplane going to see dan Aykroyd. remember okay. and they sneak it onto the plane as flight attendants okay fat guy in little coat is that um this no. is after that okay. this is towards the end of the movie where the climax and uh david spade is doing the over uh the uh, voice of the on the plane Okay, okay. And then he pulls the thing and he has to run and he grabs a pair of scissors from someone and pokes it so that he can start breathing again. <laughs> um, and then we've got the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, uh, right. We've got Groot and Rocket. Um, I love Rocket because he's like this really, he's like a playful character, you know, but he's very determined and he's actually kind of, he's kind of ignorant, but like he's steadfast and he's confident, you know, and so I love that about him and I, I try, because like, I try to envision myself as like, as a person, like I'm not ever gonna be the smartest guy in the room. You know what I mean? But like at the same time, I feel like that doesn't mean that I don't have qualities that are valuable, you know? And so I like that about Rocket is like, he just, he's not the smartest guy in the room, but he embraces that, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and then we've got Fight Club right here. Um, I tried to fight a guy when I was 15 because he said he did not like Fight Club. <laughs> um, the movie, like, it just had, like, such a gigantic impact on my life. That was an intense movie. Yeah. That, yeah. When it came out. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I tried to fight a kid over it. And, it, it, and he when he said he didn't think it was all that, and I was like, what? Right. I'm sorry, what'd you say? You right. know, little 15-year-old Greg. Wow. Okay, so because we don't have much time, and I want to get to, to some some really important subjects that you have really good insights on um i want to kind of fo so there, there's a there's a theme and i'm going to lay out a little bit about you um you are a surfer you are a pedicab driver you are a writer you are a, a tattoo fiend and a movie fiend but there is a there's an overlying theme that i i get a sense from you where you like to push things to the extreme would you say that's accurate or is that me, just me saying stuff absolutely moderation has never been my thing ever <laughs> and so um yeah maybe you can unpack a little bit more what what is where you feel like that comes from for you um or what why that is for you what like why you you want to go to the to the nth degree on things yeah 
Um, that's a great question, and honestly, one that I'm not super sure I have a great answer for. I, I think some of it is it's gonna take me back to nature versus nurture. You know, um, I grew up with three brothers, and so and we were also uh, forced to play sports. You know, I was always like an artist as a kid. I never really wanted to play sports, but I was always really good at at playing sports. If there was a ball involved, like I could do it. I have great hand-eye coordination. Uh, I'm quick. I'm really fast, um, but I was always a, a tiny guy, and so I always felt that I had to like maybe push a little harder, um, because every I mean when you're whatever four foot six in the eighth grade and everyone else is like getting their growth spurt and you find out that oh alas your growth spurt is really never gonna come you know, um, you kind of like in a way overcompensate for that, uh, and I, I think some of that probably stemmed from that, but there's probably some of it that's just in my DNA. Uh, originally they used to call me the black sheep when I was a kid, you know, uh, now these days they call me the free spirit, right? I don't know what the difference is or anything, but that's what the, the terminology. And you come from a family from the South, right? This is true. Yes. From Texas. Yes. So conservative cultural background. Oh, my dad is, uh, stockpiling weapons. He's ready for Armageddon. Like full, like he listens to Rush Limbaugh. He like full right wing like all the way um i'm not really sure i would go so far as to say that he's like a staunch trump supporter because he doesn't he doesn't seem to really get in i don't know what it is he's really standoffish about that subject yeah but um his views are very incredibly conservative and you're about to go into that world right you're you're about to do grad school in arkansas for creative writing right yes so you're you're about to go back into the the bible belt Yes. And um, and you're doing it because you found something that really works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that's kind of what this podcast is about, is about focusing on uh, what what people find is working for them. And it's about housing. And you've also done some creative housing solutions. Mm-hmm. Could you maybe lay out what. Well, you've I'll, I'll just say you, you've you've done the car camping thing right mm-hmm. on the yes. street on the streets. And uh, and we were just talking uh, before we started recording about the encampment in West Oakland on Wood Street and um, uh, how depressing it is to see to see those yes, folks very there. Much. But you you have some insights about all this. I, I don't know. I, I know it's a pretty open ended question, but I'm going to stop talking and, and see if anything it comes to mind from from those subjects. Um, sure. I think there's a lot that comes to mind from those subjects. Uh, I mean, the Wood Street encampment alone is just like, uh, it'll break your heart. You know, it just, you drive, I'm like riding my bike through there. Uh, I actually like, I have bought these new headphones, you know, and they're like the Bluetooth. They're actually kind of a nicer pair of headphones. And I'm like riding through there and I'm like, wow, I can afford to buy these like really nice pair of headphones and there are people here that are literally like looking around on the ground for food you know and so it's like I find myself trapped in in that space of like what do you do for that like what is the solution you know and it always for me comes back to like systemic problems you know uh, as far as poverty goes and in that particular area I don't know if I have a solution I do know that I see uh the city building the the little sheds like what i live in 
here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The little eight by ten sheds. Uh, uh, they're building the the homeless camps. Yep. Which uh, I know I'm behind that a thousand percent. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what that looks like on the inside yet. I have yet to see what the inner workings are because it could potentially be problematic as well. Yeah. Um, so so and then. Uh, so a lot of people, when they look at people that are living in the encampments, they immediately assume that everybody there is addicted to something, uh, and is breaking, breaking rules and made their bed and now they're living in it. Um, and, and I don't know if you have, have any insights on that or ways to get out of that if somebody was in that situation, um, I actually have a, a lot of insight into that and a lot of solution on how to get out of that um, because, you know, the, the social stigma of drug addiction is, is a huge thing. You know, it's always going to be there. It's like, oh, well, these people choose to do this. Um, when it, In fact, it's not really always the case. I don't want to say that, that they're completely not at fault, but a lot of the times when we're dealing with these encampments, there's also mental health illness uh, issues involved that are incredibly difficult to like combat um to fight you know and uh for me like i've recently gone through a very similar situation where i found myself needing resources um and medical health uh, medical attention for mental health stuff and uh medical has actually been a great help um there are several centers i actually have a brochure over there of a place where you can go to get signed up uh, I know I particular like the particular clinic I go to is uh, Lifelong Medical in downtown Oakland. They're at 616 16th Street, um, and they've just been a giant help. I was actually there today. Uh, I spoke with one of their. It's uh, I think it's uh, their P PAs. A lot of them, you know. Uh, that's the direction the the medical industry is going. Is there's less and less doctors now and more and more PAs because it's it's cheaper, hmm. um, which I think in itself is a bit of an issue because like doctors are required to go to medical school for four years for a reason because there's a lot of ins and outs. Hmm. Um, and uh, that is not to say that there, I haven't run into hiccups, but uh, I think for the East Bay, there's a bunch of resources out there. So you hear that as, as well, that there's a ton of resources for people and it's just like people are just not taking advantage of them. Um, and, and we should say, like, you, you've, you've come out of, you were in a place where you were, were addicted to things and uh, you, you, you mentioned that you, you felt like you could have been in some of those shoes on for, for some of the folks on Wood Street. So how, I guess the question is, like, can everybody be saved? And if so, w what's the path? Obviously, everybody's different, but yeah, unfortunately, you know, I come from a like a really staunch, uh, steadfast, twelve-step program background, and uh, as far as my recovery goes, um, and uh, it does talk about like there, like there are such unfortunates uh, that not everyone is going to be saved, um, and. Honestly, I, I don't know what the solution is. I, I wish I had uh, that, that magic key, um, but I don't. And I know for me what it was, was I had that moment where I just was no longer willing to do that. And, you know, I had that what we call in recovery an aha moment. 
of like I'm just I can't like this emotion everything that I'm feeling inside has like broken me to such an extent that I'm just no longer willing to do that anymore and so you know I reached out to whatever resources I did have um, which uh, I'm very grateful for and you know I, I a lot of it was about that just that emotion of like I'm not doing that anymore right yeah no that's powerful and and if in that moment if you before you came to that realization if somebody inserted themselves into your life and said hey you should go to this place you should think about this would that have worked do you think is it is there any outside intervention that can happen or is it does it have to come from with within or you know there absolutely is an outside intervention that can happen and a lot of it is about <coughs> um, people who have been there. You know, there's that uh, there's there's a Facebook meme that I really love. I don't really do too much Facebook stuff anymore, but it's like there's this guy down in a hole. This guy, he's a drug addict. And he's down in a hole. He's like stuck down in the hole. You know, and like everybody walks by. You've got the doctor who walks by and like drops his script pad down there, you know, and for some meds or whatever. And then you've got the psychologist that walks by and is like talking to him and it's like let's talk through this and then you've got the drug addict that walks by and he jumps down in the hole with him and he's like hey man i've been here before let me show you how to get out you know right that's and it's like analogy. that for me is where it's at it's about it's like i need someone who has been there someone who like like i said like i have that was me like i call it carpet surfing um, which means uh, like when you're on a, a drug binge and you think you've dropped your drugs on the floor and so you literally are like combing through the carpet looking for more drugs when they're obviously not there um, and, and I've been there you know and so like if, if I was to go up to someone else like it's a, a familiar term in recovery as a carpet surfer so if you were to say that someone's ears would perk up mm. and they would be like Oh wow! Like this guy understands me. Maybe he can help me. Right. You know. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting because I was I was talking to another friend who um, who has a friend who uh, transitioned out of out of an uh, out of uh, an addiction and um, is wants to treat people and use uh, uh, psychedelics, which mm. is which is which is really interesting. Um, but she can't go back into those spaces and work with people because she gets activated or triggered, triggered. and uh and so she has to remain have a distance mm -hmm. and yeah I, um i don't know if, if like obviously you're going off to arkansas to be a creative writer and write write the next massive novel and screenplay but uh have you ever thought about being that person that jumps down into the hole and shows people how to get out and then have you thought about that the fact that it might set you trigger you or activate you sure i i've done treatment work i've actually worked in treatment i've been the guy that's jumped in the hole uh plenty of times because uh, that's kind of what we do uh like uh we could definitely get into a huge discussion on treatment versus recovery mm. and treatment is for money you know you pay someone to jump down in the hole with you mm. you know um and recovery is someone jumps down there for free mm. um so there's a huge difference in my world um but it, it just wasn't for me, like uh, the treatment side of it when you bring money into it and uh, because there's a lot of logistics and uh, I have a brain that just says my way is best and your way sucks. And mm -hmm. it's like if we're not doing it my way, then I don't want to be involved. 
Yeah. Um, and so I was never really good for it. I, I do know that I'm incredibly grateful for the people that are out there that do that kind of work and that can maintain their program and uh, do it. But I was just never one of them that could that could get paid to like be a part of a like a recovery center or a drug treatment center. Okay, so you made this distinction between treatment and, co- and recovery, and treatment is paid, and recovery, you do it for free. Is altruism, yeah. So can you unpack that a little more? Because I... Sure. Uh, c- couldn't there be a way that you could do... Re- well, I, s- I still don't fully get... I guess that... Yeah, couldn't there be a way that you could do recovery and get paid... Because f- it's a... Get paid for it because it's a valuable service. There, there is a, the, a way to do it, um, kind of in my opinion uh but it takes a very special kind of person because uh the biggest problem that you're going to run into is that people who work in the drug treatment industry they go to work and they help these people but they get paid to do that so that does not count towards their recovery and so oh recovery is about the 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 person the second person jumping into the hole for free and it's completely altruistic so it's like i'm here to help you because it's going to help me Okay. And so it, it, there's no money involved, you know, like when I do uh, 12-step recovery and what I like to call long-term recovery, um, I do it because, like, someone helped me, you know, and I try to bring that into every aspect of my life. You know, we call it practicing the principles in all our affairs. Um, and recently I've fallen short in many different ways, and, like, I've had to go out and, like, see people and be like, hey, look. I made a huge mistake and you know is there anything I can do to make that right Hmm. Um, now if you're talking about the treatment side of that uh, it's just different you know because there's money involved and so in the beginning of 12-step recovery it was built (coughs) in a way that uh, no outside entity could endorse the 12-step program and so it's built uh, as a self-contained kind of entity to be protected from like a recovery center saying, hey, we, we do AA or we do Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or Cocaine Anonymous or whatever it is. Mm. You know, like they don't own it. No one owns it. Hmm. It's all like it's all paid for by the people who are members of the program. Ah, okay. So 12-step is different than Alcoholics Anonymous? No, it's the same. It's the same. Same, right, yeah. And I heard, uh, so I, I just listened to this great podcast with um, Tim Ferriss interviewing Michael Pollan, who just came out with a book about the power of psychedelics and how it's very effective for uh, addiction treatment, or re- treatment, I guess, and um, uh, mental health and trauma recovery. Are we, how are we doing on time? We're, we're doing good. We still got at least 15 to 18 minutes. Okay, sweet. So uh, I don't know how you if you've ever done psychedelics or if you've heard about this but there is a lot of studies and a lot of effective treatments that are being experimented right now to help people get out of addiction uh ibogaine is one big one Mm -hmm. but um even mushrooms Mm -hmm. and these are like guided um trips uh with with a with a psychologist um yeah, yeah what, what are your I thoughts on that? I actually have huge, like, very big opinions about this. Um, oh, sorry. One last thing before you jump in. Uh, the reason I brought it up was because the, the guy who invented uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program, got into psychedelics 
As Bill, a, you're talking about Bill Wilson, yeah. Yeah, and then like uh, was like, hey, this is effective. We should use this. And then the kind of the board was like, you're crazy, dude. And they they kind of squashed that. But that's an interesting fun fact. Uh, yeah, and you're gonna run into that a lot. Uh, right now, it's uh, it's basically something that you talk about with people in confidence um, in the rooms. You know, um, it's not something that's openly talked talked about yet. But uh, one of the comparisons that uh, was brought to my attention was like uh, in the 80s, whenever Prozac and a lot of these uh, antidepressants were becoming big, uh, there was a huge stigma with those medications as well. Right. And so right now what's going on is we're, we're learning. We're learning about these meds because you know, you're talking about, let's say LSD or mushrooms or ketamine. Ketamine is like huge right now for treating depression. And so they're basically it's called microdosing, um, and personally, like I microdose uh, cannabis for, to treat my insomnia, hmm. um, and it's a huge issue. I've lost, I, I could say, a handful of friends over it. Like they won't talk to me anymore um, because of it, um, and because they think it goes against my recovery. Um, and so, as far as like the rest of the the psychedelics, I know that I've suffered. From depression I've suffered from anxiety uh, I've suffered from a lot of different things and if there was something out there that could help me then I would probably keep a pretty open mind to it um, I would want to make sure that I discussed it with everyone in my circle um, I would I would take every precaution you know I, like I would speak to my friends let everyone know um, and just like literally be as open and honest about it as I could you know, as as a recovering drug addict, that's the key is honesty and openness. And that's really the way that I approach the cannabis thing. And that's honestly why I lost so many friends as well is because I was very open about it. And I, I don't hide it. Um, and so it's been an interesting experience to see who's going to be there and who's not. And, you know, I mean, it's kind of like life. Like you never know where people's opinions are going to fall. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm stoked about it, to be honest. But you're you're hesitant because uh, there's a big cultural stigma around it, and that's so it's a delicate thing because of how other people are going to look at you in part. Yeah, I mean, you could potentially be shunned from your recovery because you were trying X, Y, and Z, whatever new experimental approach is going on. And your recovery, you mean y you you have a community of people that that support you in your in right. your recovery. And they and those people may not uh, greenlight uh, exactly this experiment, right? Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. So, <laughs> I think I'm out of questions. What, what do you have any thoughts? Do you have any questions for me? Um. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Well, first of all, what what are your plans with uh, Tiny Logic? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um. Yeah, that's a great question, Greg. Um. So the the overall underlying um impetus is to promote tiny house living in cities in in Oakland specifically cuz that's where we live and that's that's where I've started to figure out some of these legal complexities uh and the and the goal would be to create communities like where we live uh where people could live um and obviously there's this massive uh, encampment crisis. So, okay, so this is another interesting question to ask you about is I feel like I 
especially when I started this tiny house journey, wanted to make it very clear that I'm not homeless um, and wanted to distinguish myself from the people that are just outside our fences um, and are down on Wood Street. And obviously there's a lot of cultural stigma attached to people that live in encampments that I don't want to be associated with. But also there's not much difference in practicality about how some people on the other side of the fence are living in RVs and trailers and how we're living out here. Um, and so having been on both sides of that cultural uh, identification point, I guess, uh, do you see it? Do you see a line? Uh, and should there be a line? And I'm not sure that there should be a line, but there's a gigantic line. You know, um, because when I came out here, uh, I was uh, doing the car camping thing on the side of the street and I was parked over in East Oakland. And uh, I mean, it was scary. Like, there's just no way around it. And then uh, moving into Duckland, like for me, the best part of it, like looking back on the whole journey, like moving into here, I got plugged directly into a community, right. which has just been like spectacular. You know what I'm saying? Like. Uh, having met you, having met Pinto, and having met Josh, and like getting to know everyone, has just been like one of the most fantastic experiences like that I've really ever encountered. And it it it's promoted like uh, I don't know happiness and joy and just like I mean it's really something that's hard to put into words. But uh, unfortunately, there is a line, and I think that that that's it is the community aspect of it where we're like all friendly we get along and we try to help each other and be of service to like the world and in whatever way we possibly can yeah and like you know obviously people are americans or people in general are addicted to everything i mean whether you're living in a house or not people whether it's coffee booze you know meth pot whatever it is we're all we're all addicted uh and then but we decide some people are that stigma group of addicts or, you know, derelicts or transients or whatever. And then we decide these other group of people that are also addicted are um, normal or they're OK, you know, functional. Uh, but, you know, like I think we, you know, we we are hesitant to let certain set let people into our community like we screen people, you know, uh, and, you know, if if we felt like you were unstable or you were, you know, I guess what, I guess I'm trying, I'm s like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I'm, I guess I'm trying to say that there is still like a, you can look at somebody and you can tell in some ways what, you know, drugs can weather somebody. You can, you can kind of get a sense of their emotional state. if You talk to them long enough. Um, and a lot of people don't want to live with somebody that might, that they're they're just afraid of of the stigma and so i I say all that to say like i want to create communities like ours for for people um and i and i would love to have those communities be a, be a solution to the encampments but then the fear is that you know I, I toy with this idea of like a community like ours letting in somebody who who might be struggling out on the wood street encampment but i know that 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 probably wouldn't fly with everybody here there, there'd be well, a lot of fear true. about it. And there, there's a stigma because there, a, there is actually a, a legitimate threat sometimes, unfortunately. Right. Um, I think 
uh, with the particular problem that you're speaking of right now, let's say someone did come into the community that was unstable and that just, you know, uh, was unable to, uh, what's the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, uh, uh, when you like, go with let's the say you moved into a foreign country and you were like getting yourself settled. Oh, uh, assimilate. Assimilate. Yeah. If they weren't able to assimilate to this, th- this style of life, it's been my experience that the problem will take care of itself. You know what I'm saying? Like the universe has a way of kind of like bringing the right thing in and the wrong thing out. You know, I mean, it's it's a synchronicity of life that really just kind of takes care of itself, man. Like, especially with something like this, like the, where the, the motives are altruistic. Uh, we really are trying to better the planet, the earth, whatever, um, and each other. We're trying to help each other grow. There's, there's been a lot of that going on that I see. I mean, the gardens are growing. Um, I mean, the, the, the sink is getting built. Like, things, positive things are happening. You know, and, and so it's like when you bump up against what you're talking about uh, with the stigma, the universe will help you resolve that. And like, in my opinion, and, and like that's a whole other can of worms when we're talking about spirituality and altruism and whatnot. But I fully believe that there's an energy and, and, and like something out there that's greater than myself that handles those sort of problems. Now, you're going to run into a whole bunch of headaches in the process of handling it, you know. But um, at the same time, sometimes you got to take that risk and other times you'll pass, you know, like you'll know the battles to pick and the ones not to. Right. And do you, when you were in a place where you could be stigmatized, uh, could you sense that from the eyes of the passerbys if you were, you know, on the street or whatever? Uh, could you sense that and did it, would you internalize it or could you not give too shits about how people normals thought about you um well honestly uh in the beginning i didn't really feel it so much uh i do sense it now more with the mental health side um i don't know what it is about it but uh there was definitely like for me i just i hit it so well when i was out uh act in active addiction uh that I didn't really deal too much with the stigma. I mean, basically, certain people avoided me, and I just basically fell into self-loathing for however many years, you know, just trying to deal with that. Uh, but I, over the past, like, let's say six months, the, the mental health stigma has been really one of the hardest things for me to personally come to grips with. I'm not really sure why that is. Like, for me, drugs and alcohol were never an issue. It was like, I've known since I was like 12 or 13 that I was a drug addict like known hands down like running and gunning we're doing it let's do it you know (laughs) always known but you know when the mental health stuff started popping up is really when I kind of receded and started to be like wow I I need to hide this and I need to hide that and these people don't need to know this and and my brain just started functioning in this in this way of like where I just kind of really jumped into the closet about it yeah. Um, and now that I'm starting to come to some understanding and find some solution, um, I'm starting to learn how to reach out more and, and deal with it. Um, but there is also a, a, a large stigma involved with the mental health side. Totally. Um, I was reading this book recently. It's, this was a really cool uh, like event that this lady was sharing. Uh, she was bipolar and uh, she was having lunch with all of her lawyers and they were interviewing uh this guy who was supposed to be some sort of music professional 
where he like music history professional. And so what he was going to do is he was going to uh, testify in defense that this sample wasn't like ripped off. Hmm. Right. And so they, they had this lunch. Everything was going great. They were like basically high fiving at the table. They loved this kid so much. The kid uh, at the end of the lunch got up and said, oh, my gosh, I forgot to take my lithium. Let me be. I'll be right back. While he was gone, the lady watched all of the associates like literally start talking smack about this kid and his mental health problems. And Mm. immediately his name was nixed off the list. Mm. Immediately they were like, nope, lithium. Nope. Sorry. Bye bye. Yeah. And they, they made up some lie and they told him that he didn't get the job. Yeah. It's, it's a huge, it's a huge stigma. Uh, and I, I just I'm thinking about uh, how we all kind of uh, how much how much time we have left eight minutes. eight minutes all right we probably have one this one last subject this is a this is an interesting one. like okay so you're we should say you are a stacked healthy young man you're a pedicab driver you ride a bike for a living you also then go surfing in your off time uh, you My are, legs are like steel you are a physical <laughs> specimen Greg you're a strong dude uh, and I think what I, I'm pointing that out to say that I think part of our culture really celebrates uh, strength and uh, competence. And so we see mental, we even the term, you know, mental health, we see this as, as weakness. You know, where you could look at it, you know, there's some cultures that look at um, uh, the the bipolar people or schizophrenics they 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 herald them as as spiritual leaders or you know these are you know people that have um that are on the spectrum or are like creative geniuses and often and and people that are termed mentally ill in all different classifications are usually like massively uh creative or massively expert in another way you know um but we look at it as if you're not normal and this this idea of normal is always changing as as weak but i don't know i don't know if you have any any thoughts on that because you know you're dealing with that stigma on one side and then on the other side you are you know you are the poster child of the strength and competence of you know of the american male <laughs> yeah uh well one one person really comes to mind right now is carrie fisher uh, Princess Leia. Okay. Uh, yeah. She was bipolar. She was uh, in recovery. She died not sober, um, and she struggled a lot with like various different issues. Um, her books are just fantastic. Uh, so I've only re- read Postcards from the Edge. Uh, she won an Emmy for Wishful Drinking, which was her audio. Like I think it was an Emmy or is something. She won some sort of really one of those fancy awards for her, the audio version of her book, Wishful Drinking. You know, so she was very out of the closet about her issues because she was in the spotlight. She was in the spotlight and, and like her actions were kind of scrutinized because she was a star. Right. You know? Yeah, I think, I think the we, like, it's just like uh, you know miscarriages or th- the the statistics on miscarriages are like they happen so often, but we don't, or or like sexual assault that happens so often, but everybody sweeps it under the rug, so w- we don't think that it's a, a typical thing. And I think it's the same with with these types of things. And we need more people like Carrie Fisher, and you and other people to come out and say, and people are doing it. 
especially public figures and saying like hey like this is normal and all these other people that are pretending to be normal are also sweeping this stuff under the rug you know everybody's got their their well, mental I, I mean demons. i can tell you this i i just got done reading reading a book i think the woman's name was terry cheney mm-hmm. um the name of the book was called manic and uh she just described her experience as far as like dealing with mental health uh bipolar stuff and uh I know that her book tremendously helped me just to, to know that someone else out there was like dealing with the same issues and like uh, just like relating to her experience. Like it just made my heart smile. Yeah. You know? And and so I, I fully agree with you uh, that we need more people kind of out there like promoting, you know, like there is a solution because yeah. I, I fully believe that there is. Well, know? it sounds like her book and Carrie Fisher's book in a way – they climbed down into the hole with you and showed you how to get out and they didn't even have to physically be there with you. That's absolutely a hundred percent accurate. And, and my question is, is what's, what's, what's on the, on the horizon for you as a writer, as a creative mind, as a filmmaker, uh, and how, and are you planning to walk down the hole with other people through your media at some point? Um, yes, at some point I am. Uh, I dabble in nonfiction, but right now it's all fiction. Um, right now, I, like I seem to be really, really attracted to satire, like really sappy, uh, hopeless romantic sat- satire. Like uh, my, I don't know what it is about my love life, but for some reason it's just like at the forefront of my writing. I don't know why that is, um, <laughs> but I think it's just me trying to process my past and. Uh, I'm currently working on like this epic trilogy that I hope to turn into like something like Lord of the Rings. Like it's gonna be like my body of work that's gonna be like remembered. Awesome. Um, like I, th- it's titled Chin Check, but it's about a kid who like basically is born in the gutter and you know kind of start, he starts dealing drugs to like get by, and then he actually becomes a DEA agent. And there's just all sorts of like ins and outs, but I've got like this epic trilogy planned and. Uh, I'm writing on that right now, and like basically, it's a freestyle write uh, form of writing uh, where I haven't really started forming the plot yet, but I'm just like writing about the character, and uh, I, it's a term we write for the woodshed right now. I'm writing so that no one can read it. You know okay. what I mean? It's writing because I love to write, and hopefully one day it'll form into something that'll be a book. Very cool. And the name of the character is Chincheg. Okay, so the name of the book is Chincheg, like uh, like a, like the slang term for like Chincheg. Oh, uh, okay, like a boxing. Yeah, term. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it actually comes from a Tupac song. Okay. Uh, like Tupac, I grew up on Tupac. Love Tupac. Uh, like everything. Like if I could be one person ever, it would be <laughs> Tupac. Like I love this. Like he was fearless for like a little guy. And like he was always fighting, you know, and he had all this energy, and uh, he like he was so poetic. And uh, I don't, too, it's a whole different story, man. Um, I do have to get going. All right. Um, okay. Wow. Where can we uh, where can we find where can people look for you look for your work? Uh, well, as of right now, nowhere. <laughs> but the the first book that I will publish, it'll be self published. Uh, it'll be titled Lovey Dovey hashtag FML by Greg Smolars. All right. And uh, can you spell your name for us? Yeah. S M as in Mike O L A R Z as in Zebra. And if anybody wants to shoot you an email or reach uh, you on Facebook, Reco Greg. So it's like recoverygreg at gmail.com. Reco Greg. Thanks so much, Greg. Absolutely. Sing. Homeless. Homeless.
Thank you for listening. The music is by Paul Simon and Lady Smith Black Mambasso from the Graceland album, one of the greatest albums of all time. This podcast is inspired by the work of Tiny Logic. For more information, visit tinylogic.ninja. Oh, man. 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 Oh,